you have a Bible tonight, let's turn to the book of Romans. It's been a while since we talked about this, but it was the intention when we started that we would finish uh, talking about being out of slavery. Slavery is an interesting concept in the New Covenant. I'm not talking about slavery uh, like one man owning another man. I'm talking about the slavery that we were in before we got born again. Slaves to sin, slaves to our flesh, slaves to the world. We became free through the Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says now we, we don't have the spirit of slavery. We have a spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. You know, we know that we're sons and daughters of the living God. Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves. I call you friends. And the reason is, he doesn't just say because you need a new title. He says because the reason is a slave does not know what his master is doing. It's important that you realize as a believer, you're meant to know what God has for you. You may not know it all at once. You may not have the whole full 3D picture, but God is not hiding a bunch of stuff from you and you're just going through life. This is how a slave goes through life. A slave goes through life and says, whatever happens to me happens to me and I hope it turns out good. Whatever, you know, we'll see what the master has for me. But none of our heroes of the faith ever lived like that. Circumstance to circumstance, fatalistic, just, well, I guess this must have been the plan of God. No, they heard the voice of God and they followed. And the reason you needed to do that was, because if you're the Apostle Paul, for instance, and you're walking along, and you say, I think I'm supposed to preach the gospel, I'm going to start doing it. And you start preaching. And everywhere you go, you're so resisted. You're so beat up. You're stoned to death in one place. You're thrown in the ocean. All of these things, you start to think, I may, maybe this was not God's will. If it was God's will, it would be smoother than this, right? I should probably quit. Because you don't know, because you haven't heard anything, so you're just going by, by sense. Remember what happened when we got transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? You walked around with your eyes open. And now I can see where I'm going. And if there's an obstacle in my way, I still can see where I'm going. And so I may go around or through that obstacle to get there. It is so important that you hear the voice of God. So important that Jesus said, this is the reason I'm not calling you slaves anymore. Because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. Last time we talked about this, we spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 2. Where he says things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard nor has entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for, them that lo- for, for those that he loves and those that love him. But it says, no one knows the heart of a man but the spirit of a man within him. No one knows the thoughts of a man but the heart of, of the, his own heart, his own spirit. Even so, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. No one knows the hearts of God except the spirit of God. That spirit which searches even the depths of God. But we have received not the spirit which is of the world, but the spirit which is from God. So that we may know. So there's a purpose to you receiving that spirit. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible that's freely given to you. uh, But if you don't pick it up, You don't have it. For example, the scripture says, God has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. But is every believer walking in those things? No, they're not. Why? Because they 
don't know that they can have it. They don't know it's there, so they don't take the steps prescribed to get there. They, I'm sure we've stumbled in things we didn't know. We've stumbled into the goodness of God at all, every turn, and there have been times you didn't know what God had in store, and he just laid it out for you. But as a spiritually mature believer, there's got to be a point where you say, I'm more than a slave. I am a friend and I'm a son. And as such, I've got to expect that I can hear the voice of the master and walk as Jesus walked. He said, I don't do anything unless the father tells me to. I don't say anything unless he says it to me. He said, I'm giving you the same spirit. Everything he hears, he'll tell you. Everything he sees, he will disclose to you. We walk with that same spirit. It's absolutely imperative that you develop an attitude, I am not a slave. I am not a slave. And yet, (laughs) and yet every writer of the New Testament epistles says at one point, I am a slave to Christ. (laughs) How does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. When it comes to your obedience, you submit yourself as a slave to a master, just like Jesus did. If you need to clear these verses up, if you need to clear your theology, if you need to clear your doctrine up, just look at Jesus. Everything will fall into place. You go, he was a son. Absolutely. But did he disobey at one point? No. Did he did he act on his own free will? No. I mean, he he had his own free will, but he submitted that will to the father. He said, I don't do anything unless he tells me to. Does that sound like a slave to you? It sounds like both, some of you are saying yes and no, and you're both right. Because he had the choice, like a son. He had the authority of the son. He had the rights and inheritance of the son. And yet, he submitted his will as a slave to a master. He says, I do nothing unless he tells me to. I say nothing unless he tells me to. So it makes sense when the same apostle Paul that says we no longer have the spirit of slavery is able to say later, I am a bondservant. The Greek is dolos. It's the same word that we use for slave in other parts of the New Testament. I am a slave to Christ. It makes sense. It's not a bad thing. You don't need to run from it. It's a good thing because I can't find a place in the Bible where he treats you like a slave. He treats you as sons and daughters. He treats you better than you ever deserve to be treated. But through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you have become worthy of such treatment. Not by any work that we've done, but purely by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we stand and we say, okay, you treat me like this. I know I didn't deserve to be treated like this on my own, but I know Jesus paid every price for me to act this way. But that's not going to let me, that's not going to bring me to a point that I'm going to start acting on my own free will and just decide that I've got better ideas than God. I am going to say he is the only one I fear. He's the only one I honor. He's the only one I seek. He's the only one whose opinion really matters. Because Paul says in Galatians, if we had tried to please men, we would not have been bondservants of Jesus Christ. So you start worrying about other people's opinion, you're a slave to those people. The scripture says we're slaves to those that we obey. So you obey God, you've, you've made your allegiance known. You obey the world, you obey your flesh, you've also made your slavery known. 
And so we've, we've gone past slavery to the flesh, slavery to the world, slavery to sin. We step out as free men. And as free men and women, we say, I submit my life to you. I've given it to you. You take what you want. You tell me what you want. You send me where you want. I don't want to do my own thing anymore. Praise God. It's good, isn't it? Okay, let's go to the book of Romans. Last time we talked about, as, as we've just recapped here, uh, s- slavery versus sonship in the sense of, of knowing what God wants to do, knowing his will, knowing his voice, knowing his plan. Uh, we've stepped into the point at this service where we're going to talk a little bit more about, um, about how you deal with your flesh. <laughs> because that was the thing that we're not slaves to anymore. And yeah, we still got a body that we need to walk around, don't we? We still live in a body, and, and anybody that tells you that they don't need it is wacky, and they just don't listen to them. You know, we used to have preachers, um, used to have preachers that would say, uh, you know, check your brain at the door. There's going to be spirit stuff right now. You know, and I got what they're meaning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're saying, like, don't try to intellectually figure everything out. You know, receive with the spirit. I totally agree with that. Praise the Lord. But I'm not checking my brain at the door because <laughs> I need it. And God gave it to me for a reason, right? right? What does the scripture say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's, that's everything, right? He asked for my mind. He asked for my strength. He said, serve the Lord with these things. We, you know, sometimes without drums like tonight, it may be tougher too. But we, we've been raised in a church and encouraged that we worship God, not just with our voices, but with everything else. So we dance. So we lift our hands, right? And that's not a weird thing for us to do, is it? If I had said from the pulpit tonight, y'all want to just check your bodies at the door. Just ministering to your spirit tonight. No dancing. No shouting. No lifting your hands. Don't get the body involved in this at all. No, that would be silly. You'd be less involved. The difference is not getting rid of your body or your brain. The difference is finding out who's in charge. And you've got to let the Spirit be in charge all the time. And when you let the Spirit be in charge, that means the Holy Spirit's in charge. And that means everything else comes in a line. And what we want to talk about tonight is the difference between just saying, uh, none, none of the flesh, none of the flesh, none of the flesh, and, the, and, and just graduating to a point where we can say, ah, but my flesh can serve the Lord. But it's got to be treated like a slave. <laughs> my spirit's free. My mind is being renewed. But my body, all it knows is, to, is, is just to follow orders. All my body knows is do whatever I'm told to do. So, you know, when we're slaves to sin, the body says, okay, I'm going to sin. It's so I feel like sinning. I'm slave to my passion. I'm slave to whatever I feel like doing. But then, maybe your body has a nicer voice than mine. I don't know. Probably since I've been working out. No, I'm just kidding. So, your body just knows, follow the orders. And, and the first thing your body learns to do, since we were separated from God, and man gave up his dominion. When he sinned, he became much like the animals, not completely like the animals, but much like them in the sense that we followed instinct and cravings and desires. I want to eat that. I want 
I like a pretty girl. I go after a pretty girl. Another pretty girl. Go after a pretty girl. I mean, it is just very animal. What makes you better than the, the, that, that bull that the Davidsons have at the ranch? Not much. And so this is what we do. And our body is a slave to its own passions. And so when you get born again, there is a training process. Training takes place. Your mind is getting washed daily. It gets getting its daily baths. And it goes, well, I don't like these baths. I, I like to think freely. I like to be a free thinker. I suppose my brain probably has an accent too, but I don't want to try. I like to think freely. And your brain wants to be the smart one. The brain wants to figure everything out. Free thinker. I don't want to be like anybody else. I want to be a free thinker. I want you to be a free thinker too. I just want you to be free enough to submit your brain to the higher intelligence of God. Who is way smarter than you. Smartest thing you can do is listen to someone smarter than you, isn't it? So, you know... You submit your brain, you wash your brain, because so far your brain thinks it's got everything figured out. It's got it all figured out. And you learn a new way of thinking. And we talk about brainwashing sometimes like it's a hugely bad thing, but I'd rather have my brain washed than have it stay dirty, wouldn't you? And so that doesn't mean I, I go into some zombie mode where I don't think for myself. It means I go through detox from the world where I've been thinking the same as everybody else. You see, the world brain washes you too. It just washes you with dirty liquid. It just kind of, it's, you think the same as everybody else. The scripture says before you got born again, you were following the course of this world. You think you had free will. You thought you were just, you thought you were coming up with your own ideas. Isn't it weird that y'all ended up at the bar on the weekend? Isn't it weird that y'all, you, you know, were bored and you turned on the TV? Oh, but I'm a free thinker. I'm coming up with my own ideas. Really, you were just following a course of the world, which just followed its own desires and passions. You've been set free from this. Do you know what? If we petitioned the government of Canada and said we want every single thing that's considered sin in the Bible to be illegal, do you know lots of people would still sin? Well, they might try for a week to stop, but they'll keep doing it because they have no power to quit. No power on their own to stop doing it. They may have some willpower, but they don't have the real power to quit. The real power to overcome sin, that is only through Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said, we don't, we're not here to judge the world, we're here to judge ourselves. Because God will judge the world. We're here to judge us. And we say, listen, we are up to a different standard because we've been set free. So this flesh, what do we do with it? We don't get rid of it. We don't, we don't uh, cast it out. We just teach it that it's got a new master. The Apostle Paul said something brilliant. He said a few things brilliant. But there was one thing that I want to talk about tonight where he says, and we've talked about this before, he says, I buffet my body, and that's King James and I think in the New American Center, it says discipline my body. Both of those sound very clean and very nice and easy. Buffet sounds like buffet. We like it. You know, so far, so good. Until we look at the original language, which implies hitting it till it's black and blue. <laughs> and I'm not talking about Middle Ages, let's just suffer so God feels sorry for us kind of stuff. 
I'm talking about training, like an athlete goes into training. We, t- we talked about this a few weeks ago. This training that says, I am going to discipline my body. I'm going to put my body and teach my body that, that it can't boss me around. And so a runner, if they're going to run a marathon, they run a few I mean, they run, and their body says, you've got to quit, man. This is not good. They push through it. They keep training until their body shuts up, you know? And, and this is what we do as believers. At some point, the Apostle Paul says, I buffet my body. I make it my slave. Now we've got it in line. I don't serve it. It serves me. But I want you to get to a higher level, more than just overcoming sin, more than just overcoming Uh, your flesh, I want you to get to a point where you realize you're not just a non-sinner, you're a believer. You know, Jesus didn't just go through life not sinning. He went and did good and healed all that were oppressed by the devil. So I want you to get past the point where every time you think of your flesh, you just go, oh no, it's the one thing I can't. That you just get past the point where you're just trying to neutralize the flesh and you get to the point where you're saying, I can train this thing. I can boss this thing around and it's going to serve God. These hands are going to serve the master. These feet are going to go where he tells me to go. This mouth is going to bless and not curse. When you say, I'm not just going to shut my mouth, there is a time where you need to shut your mouth. Where you need to go through detox and just quit talking for a bit. So that you can learn how to say what God says and quit cursing with your mouth. But there's also a point where you realize he can sanctify my words. I can speak his words. As the scripture says, I can confess what he says. I can say what he says. Let's not forget life and death is in the power of the tongue. It doesn't just say death. It says life and death. You have choices. So the apostle Paul says, and in fact, look at Romans 7. We're going we're gonna to start in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold in bondage to sin. So that was my original state. I was a slave to sin. I was bound to it. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Have you caught on at this point that he's talking about him by himself? It won't take you long to figure out this is not the same Apostle Paul that you've known in ministry. This is the Apostle Paul saying, this is just me. By myself, without, without his help, without his grace, without his working of his spirit, this is where I stand. This was me before Jesus. This is me without his help. I got no power. He says this, But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer doing it, but the sin which indwells me, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. All oh, this sounds terrible so far, doesn't it? Say, oh, God, I mean, this is horrible. I, I want to do the right thing, but I can't. This is where we all were at one point. 
Oh, I want to do it, but I can't. He says, he says, the willing is present in me, but the doing is not. I've heard Christians preach this as if this is the present state of the believer. No, friends. We'll see in a moment. This is not your present state. This is your state before Jesus Christ. And he's, he's putting himself in the same shoes as those brothers of his that he'll talk about in Romans 10 who neglect the righteousness of God in favor of their own. And he's showing you what it's like in your own strength, on your own. You want to do the right thing, but you can't do it. He says this. I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. My members, that's my body parts. That's everything that actually ends up doing something. You see, your body is at the end of the chain. It's the thing that carries out these things. If you're going to pray, you use your tongue. If you're going to walk, you use your feet. If you're going to lay hands on somebody, you use your hands. Your body must be involved in the process. But it needs to be at the end of the process, not the beginning. You start with the spirit. You go to the mind. And the body carries out what you told it to carry out. This is how it's meant to do. But this is, he's talking at this point, my mind sends a signal, my body just doesn't do it. I can't. I fight and my body wins. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And if the book ended there, we all could go home and cry. But it doesn't. Now you can go home and call yourself wretched all you want. But it will do you no good. It'll do you the opposite of good. There are some believers who've taken this verse and said, yes, we are wretched. We are always wretched. We will never be anything but wretched. Then you'll never do anything but sin. You can be who you want to be. I'd rather be who God made me to be. He says in this case, in verse 25, the question is on the floor. Who will save me? Is there an answer to this? Yes, there is, apparently. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. There's your answer. There's your answer. Your question is, who will save me? And the answer is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. <laughs> so then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore... Now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You remember a few verses earlier, he said, I am a prisoner. If he was talking about who he was always going to be, these verses could not be together. He says, I am a prisoner. And then he says, but I have been set free. Free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Do you see? He was trying to overcome the flesh by the flesh. But you can't do that. That's willpower and it has an end. Even Alcoholics Anonymous has this, I mean, has one of the major steps in the 12 steps is realizing I can't do this on my own. There's a point where you have to say, the flesh cannot overcome the flesh because the flesh is dead. Here's what he says. 
The law was weak because it was through the flesh. What the law could not do, God did. Not will do, not might do, not should do, but past tense, did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order, listen to this, that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Thank God. There's our answer. We don't walk according to the flesh anymore. We walk according to the Spirit. The reason your spirit could not do anything about it before is your spirit. Remember, when he's talking in chapter 7, he's talking about the battle between the mind and the flesh. Does he say anything about the spirit, does he? Why? Because your spirit was dead. God said you should eat that fruit, you will surely die. The first lie was just try it. God just doesn't want you to know what he knows. The second lie was, see, you're not dead. But it's just because their body didn't drop dead. But what did drop dead? Their spirit. Because their spirit, our spirit gains life from the source of life which is God himself. Sin separated you from who? God. So when sin separated you from God, sin separated your spirit from its source of life. When Jesus came, he reconciled us to who? To God. He made us alive in the spirit. You got born again. You were resurrected through his resurrection. And so the spirit that had no power has all the power. Through his spirit, he says, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. You see, subjecting itself would be making it a slave, right? It says it can't make itself a slave to God because it's not even able to do that. But he says this. Man, it just gets better the more you read. He says, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You could try all you want to tell them you're doing the wrong thing, but until someone submits to Jesus Christ, gives themselves up to him, lets him resurrect them, lets him breathe his life into them, and their spirit becomes alive, they cannot serve God. That's why religion fails. Religion fails because man cannot serve God out of his flesh. You make all the rules in the world to try to force it, but it never really happens. You end up with another brand of Pharisees and you end up with a bunch of people that feel condemned every time they go home because the thing they preach is not the thing they do. We are of a different brand. We're of a different breed. We're of a different nature. We are... We are the redeemed, we're the set apart, we're born again. And here he says in the next verse, verse 9, However, thank God there's a however, you, my friends, are not in the flesh, you, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So everybody in this place, if you can say the Spirit of God dwells in me, that, that is, if you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord, You've believed with all your heart that he is who he said he is, that he died and rose for you. You have been born again. If you've been born again, the spirit dwells in you and you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. 
He says, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if, it, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So your body still it, it carries death with it. Don't worry about it. You'll get a new one. This one is, is constantly heading towards the grave. Should Jesus tarry, the body will eventually lay itself down. It has an expiration date. Thank God we know that there are, there are miracles to be had. There are, there's a race to be run. And we've all experienced the healing power of God coming from the Spirit and entering our bodies. We've all experienced that. But even Lazarus, raised from the dead, eventually died not walking the earth today. He eventually died because the body was not created to live forever. After it suffered the effects of sin, it's not created. But thank God, God prepared for you a new body that will live forever, that will stand the test, that will sustain through the ages. There is a body waiting for you. That's why the scripture talks about an adoption that we've already received and yet says we look forward to our adoption. There's, it says we've been, there's been a glorifying in our spirits. Our, our spirits have been glorified with him, but yet there is a glorifying of the body to come. We've received the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our spirit, and yet we look forward to the resurrection because there will be a day when our bodies are resurrected as well. This sack of meat and water will lay down and be resurrected in eternal body. There was, a, there was a man who was very special in our church. Years, years ago, he died in a, in a truck wreck. And I remember the graveside ceremony where a scripture that I'd heard before took, took a whole new meaning. As my father was officiating the, the ceremony, he stood beside the grave. Believers and unbelievers alike gathered around this piece of dirt. And he said... Though we sow this body into the earth, a mortal body, we will reap an eternal body. Now that came straight from Scripture. And yet when he said it, it came alive in me like it never had for the first time. And you're not supposed to get that excited at funerals. (laughs) So I hid my expression and I had sunglasses on so it was easier. But I remember thinking, wow. I'm never going to be bored at a funeral again. We're putting into the ground a fleshly dead body, but we will reap and harvest an eternal body. <laughs> and I didn't feel sorry for that man anymore. I sure we, our prayers remain with his family, with all of us that are left, but I didn't feel sorry for that guy anymore. He just began a greater journey than we could have expected. So, all that to say this. He says, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. That was imputed to you through Jesus Christ. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, 
We are under obligation. Do you hear this? We are under obligation. Any way around that? Anybody find any loopholes? Well, we're under obligation. What does that mean to you? I'm under obligation. Does that mean it means you don't have a choice? You, there is a debt. There is uh, there is a um, there's an ownership or responsibility. I'm hearing all these name these words come out. Absolutely, there is an obligation. But your obligation is not to the flesh anymore. You don't owe it anything. It does not own you. It doesn't have any control over you. You don't. You don't. And and any time you feel like you do, you have to do what your flesh wants to do. Remember, it does not own you anymore. It takes training because your flesh, it still thinks it has a control. And your flesh still thinks that it should run the show. It doesn't know any better. It's not the smartest part of you. Just tell it no, no, no. No, no, no. There's training that can happen, right? Imagine what Paul said when he says, I buffet my body. He is not physically hitting himself. You know, because in another book he says, he's talking about people that, that did that sort of thing. And he says, he says that has no profit. <laughs> That's a waste of time. He says, you guys are over there trying to make your body feel bad. And you think God's impressed. He's not impressed. He's doing no good. But he says this. When I buffet my body and make my slave, I imagine what he's talking about is daily training where your body relearns who's the boss. Daily training. And sometimes you got to go overboard to really hammer in the point. Like, like I'm praying for half an hour. This is what I've said. I'm praying for half an hour. An hour, sorry, minute, 20, 21 minutes. Your body goes, I'm bored. And I want to do something else. Or I'm tired, I want to sleep. Or I, I want to go eat something. Now you can, you can say, no, no, no body, it's a bad body. Or you can do this if you want to go the extra mile. Here's my advice to you. Only do this if you, if you feel this is what the Lord's having you do. This is what I would do. What I recommend to you. You say, okay, you just made it 45. And if you complain again, we'll go for an hour. And your body goes, okay, I'll shut up. <laughs> because you treat it like a little kid. <laughs> and you just go, ah, you're on a fast. You're fasting. You're praying. Body wants food. Won't leave you alone. You, you feel like, I, the more I pray, the more I just want pry. And I just want, just shut up, body. You know, you just say, okay, we'll go for an extra day. If this, if this keeps up, we're going for an extra day. I'm not hungry anymore. Somehow... <laughs> body shut up, you know? It learns. It learns that it can't boss you around. Now, I'm not, that, there's no scripture that says that method is what you should do. So take that as my simple advice. And you can take it or leave it. But, you know, it's not a bad thing to say no to the flesh and yes to God. He says this. We are not, sorry, we are under obligation, but just not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, remember, it's by the Spirit. Brother David McGrew preached a great message about how uh, you, you put to death the deeds of the body, by the deeds of the flesh, by the flesh, you'll fail. But if you do it by the Spirit, you'll win. Um, you try to discipline your own body by the flesh, it just doesn't work. But if you say, by the Spirit, I'm putting to death the deeds of the body. I'll live. 
For all who are being led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Now, here's the guy. Chapter earlier, he was talking about slavery to sin. He said, you know, I'm enslaved to the sin. You know, and, and, and there's that beginning. But then he says, thanks be to God. Now he says, for if you have not received a spirit of slavery, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children were heirs also, if heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the ancient longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Now he says, for the creation was subjected to futility. Who subjected it to futility? Futility is pointless work. It's, 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 it's no power. It's, it's a waste. Who subjected it to futility? Man did. It's not the plant's fault that they die. It's our fault. Because we were handed dominion over these things. God never failed man. But man failed these things. Man failed those animals. But don't go and apologize to them. They're too dumb to know what you're talking about. So don't, don't spend your life trying to make it up to them. Spend your life following after God and everything. You know what? We've got enough stories of, uh, you know, you can look at the Old and the New Testament and see where people of God stand up and be people of God. Even the land does better. Even the land is blessed. But like the body, like the body, it still has an expiration date until it's redeemed. And it says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself. So God had a hand in that, but that the creation itself also will be set free. From its slavery to corruption. You see, that's why I say we had a hand in it. Because it's enslaved to our own corruption. It's enslaved and it is destined to be corrupted itself. But here's the thing. Itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Into the freedom of the glory of who? Of the children of God. Now, you read this real fast. You think it's the glory of God, right? But it says here that creation is going to be set free into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that all the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit. Guess what that's talking about? Your Holy, your spirit was made alive and you've got the first fruits of the spirit. And there's a part of you that knows life. And there's the other part of you, this body that still has not grasped what that life can be, but it has a taste. Not only this, but also we ourselves, we groan. We're like pregnant people, all of us. <laughs> Where we, we await something. Pregnant, pregnant in the sense that we are awaiting something to come and we're anxious for it. We can feel 
we can feel the tension and we just want it to happen. You know, you've heard a pregnant woman now and then. My wife's in the just having a great pregnancy and she hasn't said this yet, but you hear many women, get this thing out of me, you know. <laughs> There's that, okay, I've done this long enough, let me go. Get out. I cast you out in Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> having the fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. Now, he, are, he said we've already received the Spirit of adoption. What does that mean? Our spirit has already been adopted. But our body has got an adoption to come. You're not going to fight the same battles you fight now when you get that new body. Your, fight, your battles that you fight are with your own lusts and instincts, but those are going to be done with when you get a new body that does not know sin, that has not having to be weaned off of it, that doesn't even know it. God's cure for sin is original cure for sin was innocence, not even knowing it. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? They knew. They knew. That's why we don't need to go over every type of sin with your kids so that you'll tell them not to do it. Teach them righteousness. There are things that they should be warned about, yes. But don't be graphic. Don't be detailed. Their innocence is their greatest gift. There will be things they have to find out because they live in this world. But don't corrupt them before the time. He says this. I'm getting off track. He says, we receive the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons. The redemption. What is the adoption of sons? The final adoption. It's the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? For if we hope that what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. There should be an eagerly waiting for that redemption of the body. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now let's stop for a minute and just think about this. Our flesh is still that dead old body you always had. But guess what? Your spirit is the part that's alive. And I guarantee you, I want us to get to the place where we stop just seeing the flesh like we did in chapter 7 before we had any power over it. In chapter 7, we're afraid of the flesh. In chapter 7, we're, we're terrified of its power. In chapter 7, we cry out and we say we're wretched and we moan and we groan because we have no power to overcome it. But now we've been, we've received a spirit of adoption. We are not slaves. And it says we no longer have any obligation to the flesh. That means step up, people. You can tell your body what to do. We've talked about this before. But when the spirit says, time to shout, and your body goes, please don't make me do that. You go, yeah, you're going to do it. Because the spirit's the boss. And when the spirit starts to dance, your body learns, time to dance. James says, he goes on along the same lines that Paul did. He shows you the one side. By, in the flesh, you can't even tame the tongue. Restless evil. 
full of deadly poison. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to sew my mouth shut. <laughs> That's all it is. It's full of evil and deadly poison. Ah, but he also talks about how a man who controls this controls his whole body like a bit in a horse's mouth. Once our spirit is born again and we begin to speak like the spirit speaks, your body will learn to be led by the spirit. If your mouth can be led by the spirit, then every part of you can be led by the spirit. It's absolutely important that Jesus said, I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. And I don't do anything unless he tells me to do it. They had to work together. I say what he says to say, then I do what he tells me to do. Luke chapter 4, we're not turning there. Remember what he says. Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach, to proclaim, to proclaim, to set free, to, I mean, you're talking about recovery of sight to the blind, liberty of the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. There's a whole lot in that section that's talking about what I say. And when he said it, he put it out there. People were drawn and he did it. And if we can start saying what God has told us to say, you'll be able to start doing what he's told you to do. Because he says, James says, it's a, it's a deadly, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. No man can tame the tongue. We can tame horses. He goes, he goes every animal you can think of, man is tamed. You can't tame this thing. Why? Because he's talking... In the flesh, you got no power. You can try to control your mouth. You'll never be able to do it. But then he says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Savior. And at the same time, we curse our brother. Then he says, brothers, this should not be. I like that. This should not be. Gives me hope that it doesn't have to be. If God says it shouldn't, it doesn't have to be. He says, what does he say? He says, fresh water cannot, salt water cannot be fresh. Fresh water cannot produce salt. He says, a fig tree cannot produce olives. What are we getting at here? If your spirit's made new, then good stuff comes out of your spirit and good stuff comes out of your mouth. Jesus says, judge the tree by the fruit. If the tree is good, the fruit is good. What does the scripture say? That we, are, uh, we offer a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips giving thanks. Your, what you say is part of your fruit. And that fruit can be good when the spirit is good. But you train your tongue like you train everything else. So get to this point, guys. You see what we're trying to do? We're trying to get past just the, I just got to keep the flesh. I mean, it's like, it's like the, old, the old urban legend of, of the hand transplant. Oh, that ridiculous urban legend. But a man who had a hand transplant, and the hand was the hand of a serial killer, and he wrapped its hand around somebody's neck, and he couldn't stop it from choking them because it's, the hand had a mind of its own. Like, and this is how we go through life. You know, my body's got a mind of its own. You can't put me in a straitjacket or something. I can't control it. I can't control it. Yes, you can. Well, let's get over the point where we're just trying to keep it from something 
And let's get to the point where the scripture says, what does it say? We present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead. We do not go on presenting the members of our body as instruments of unrighteousness, as instruments and slaves to sin. But we go presenting them to God as instruments of righteousness. Do you know what an instrument can do in the hands of someone who knows how to play it? (laughs) The most beautiful thing is he's not telling you to play it. He's not telling you to use it. He's telling you to submit it to God and let him use it. Your body doesn't know anything but to be a slave. It's going to serve somebody. Let it serve the Lord. I am, I'm here to tell you there will be victory in your body. There will be victory in your life. Don't go through life feeling like a slave who's just bound to do these things. And you'll try to stop as hard as you can, and maybe you'll put off the inevitable. But go through life through faith and say, no, my body is no longer a slave to sin. It is a slave to righteousness. And it's a slave to me, too. Remember, he said, I, I make it my slave. And since I've made myself a slave to Christ, ergo, the body is the slave of Christ's. What can we do when our mind, our spirit, and our body get on the same page? What kind of man was David? When he let his flesh get, take control, he did terrible things. But the man repented. And the evidence of that, to me, is that when he's in a dry and waterless place, He says, my flesh cries out for you. Wow. Think about this. Because I know I've been in prayer and I've been thirsty and the flesh is the one part of me that wants water and my spirit wants God. And maybe if I get to a certain point, my my brain, my soul even wants more of God. But I want to get to the point where when I'm without water, even my flesh still just wants him. Like I'm feeling pains, hunger pangs for him. I want to get to the place that Jesus was at as the entire city of Samaria comes toward him, saying, who is this man? Is he the Christ? And they offer him some food, and he goes, I've got food you don't know about. And they say, did somebody sneak you food? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I want to get to that spot where my body craves people being born again more than it craves food. And I guarantee there are people that will call you crazy for thinking that. You're just, you know what? You're just getting extreme now. And they'll go back. You'll always have that battle. There will always be a battle, but I'm telling you, the battle has already been won. You can overcome the flesh. You just got to live by the Spirit. Galatians 5 says it very clearly. It says the flesh sets itself against the Spirit. The Spirit against the flesh. It says if you walk by the flesh, you will get the deeds of the flesh. You'll get the outbursts of anger. You'll get the strife, the bitterness, the jealousy, all the sexual immorality. All of that will come If you live by the flesh. But he says if you walk by the spirit. Then you'll get the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit. Which comes naturally doesn't it? When you're eating a piece of fruit. You're like this is natural. 
when an apple tree starts bearing apples, we don't throw a party and go, oh my goodness, could you believe it? I only hoped there would be be apples. I was praying that they would be apples. If you plant in an apple tree, there'll be apples. And the apple tree doesn't have to go, please God. Oh, please God. I just want to bear apples for you. (laughs) Oh God, I'm laboring before you. Let me bear some apple, please. Oh, I know I've done nothing to deserve these apples. But Lord, if only you just sh- just show me a miracle and let me bear some apples. The apple tree naturally has apples. Right? In the same way, you, when you walk by the Spirit, will naturally, without even thinking about it, have the fruit of that Spirit. The fruit will come out. And the fruit is love. And the fruit is joy. And the fruit is peace and patience and goodness and kindness, gentleness and faithfulness, self-control. That means control over this thing. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. Good news. Good news for me. Good news for you. Your instincts begin to change because you've trained yourself to always go to the Spirit first for the instructions. And the flesh who used to be boss didn't turn out to be a good boss, so he got kicked out of the office and back into the, back into the yard as a worker. And he's a worker bee, and he'll do whatever he's told, and you, tr- you treat it like that. You treat it, uh, my flesh will obey. My flesh will obey. And your flesh learns after a while, uh, this is what I do. Your spirit has control. And what can that flesh do when under control of the spirit? Everything. Anything. Elijah can outrun a chariot. (laughs) Jesus can walk on water. This is the body that gets to experience these fun things, but only when it submitted itself to the Spirit. Oh, praise the Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Would you stand up with me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Jesus. When you get excited on the inside, train your mouth to praise. Train your feet to dance. Train your hands to do whatever the Spirit tells them to do. Oh, we've been given a gift. Because through Jesus Christ, the second Adam, we have come back into our place as sons. We've stepped back into our position with dominion. And the dominion over our flesh that we lost, we have now regained through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. For we don't stand as slaves anymore, but as sons and we submit ourselves freely to him saying, we are your bondservants. We are your slaves. But you treat us as sons. <laughs> Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Oh, I, I, normally I would just pray. I see no need to pray for you. I only see a need to thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. 
for redeeming us from this body of flesh, for setting us free, for paying the price that was necessary to buy us back from slavery, for not leaving us in the mud, but lifting us with you, for not leaving us to wallow in our own vomit and sin, but letting us walk as sons and daughters of the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to play a show. We don't have to act like we're believers. We can be believers. And our body, our body can serve you just like our spirit serves you. Oh, our our soul, our mind can be submitted to your will. Our brains can know what they couldn't know before. Oh, the intelligence that you've given us through your son. The things that we can say and do that we never could say or do. Because we've been redeemed. And because we are redeemed, we will say so. Our lips will glorify you. Our feet will run to do your will. Our hands will touch the sick and see them recover. We'll extend to the poor and see you supply their needs. Our eyes will be open. We'll never close them to the reality of who you are again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, we give you the glory. All of this is of you. The Lord has done great things, and they are marvelous in our eyes. We can't do anything but thank you. And and just walk it out. Just work it out and see. And see that it is God who is at work within us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Be blessed. I love you very much.